Hi, everyone. Welcome to Do It Today. I'm Kara Katruzula, and today I'm talking with Alyssa Ages, who's an author, freelance writer, and copywriter. Her new debut book is called Secrets of Giants, and it's a deep dive into the science and psychology of why pushing our physical limits is so impactful. I really love this book. Alyssa, thanks so much for being here. It's Monday. It's also the Monday after the Thanksgiving holiday, so a very busy, frazzled Monday for a lot of people. And I was just wondering what you're doing today. So, well, first of all, I live in Toronto. While normally this would be Thanksgiving for me because I'm from New York, it's kind of business as usual here because Canadians celebrate Thanksgiving a month earlier. But I am coming back to all of the connections with people from the U.S. who've been off for several days. So definitely a busy day, but I started out my morning with some weightlifting in my garage, some deadlifts and some squats. I am also talking to you on the Subly podcast, which is wonderful. And then I'll be getting my kids from school. Let's talk about the garage because I feel like it plays a large role in your book. And if you could just sort of explain what you were doing this morning, but also how that relates to this journey that you chronicle in your book to becoming competitive at these strongman competitions. We moved into our home a couple months before the pandemic started, and my husband and I both belong to a gym. And obviously that kind of ground to a screeching halt because we live in Toronto. My husband was very much inclined to use our garage as a garage um, for its intended purpose (laughs) so that when it snowed, we would have one car that was not covered in snow. And I took one look at the garage when we moved in and said, this is too narrow for a car. This is going to be a gym. And like that's kind of like slowly wear him down. We started out with just a set of adjustable dumbbells. Then a friend of mine lent me a barbell and you kind of can't use a barbell in your house. And then my trainer reached out to me and said, I I heard about this guy in Brampton, which is a suburb of Toronto, and he's got a warehouse and I don't know how it works, but you just text him what you're looking for and he'll tell you if he has it. That guy to this day is in my phone as Johnny Plates. I don't know his actual name. And so we went, we picked up a squat rack, we picked up a full set of plates. And it's just kind of grown over time into like my toy room. I have uh, a keg in there, not full of beer, but for lifting. I have some Atlas stones, which are like these big concrete boulders that you lift as part of the sport of strongman, a whole bunch of, of weird stuff. That's become my gym, even, you know, as we're able to return to a gym. It kind of allowed me to train for just general joy and also for competitions because with two little kids, it's not always easy to to find my way to the gym. And it's also become a place where the kids will hang out with me when I work out, which has been an absolute joy showing them the importance and the fun parts about strength. Yeah. And how old are your daughters? They are five and a half. And then my little one is going to be four in a couple of weeks. And I love that you have this anecdote in the book of them watching you. And sometimes they might be a little bored, but then sometimes they're just like, well, can I pick these things up myself? And what you tell them isn't, no, you can't, but it's always, well, you can try. And I think that's such a beautiful image to impart to them, but also to anyone who's reading just this idea of attempting and seeing where you are and then getting that little itch to pursue that in the future and sort of say, I can't do it now, but maybe I can do it later. And there is this line from your book about I'm going to paraphrase it, which is an author's nightmare. But, you know, that that you had <laughs> you had run a lot of marathons, you had done endurance competitions, but you had always sort of done things that you knew you could accomplish. What suddenly changed in your mind to sort of say, 
well, I want to try something that I've never done, despite how scary that is. When I had the realization about that, I had been strength training for a while and even competing, but I was constantly, maybe not consciously, but looking for things where I could succeed. I didn't have to fear failure, which is a kind of ridiculous thing to think about in the sport of strongman, which is entirely based on pushing yourself to the absolute limits of what like the human body is capable of doing. So it should be this understanding that inevitably you're going to fail. But even when I started doing that sport, I would go to competitions and I would get, you know, upset if I saw the same women in my weight class return time after time because I would go, oh, well, they're going to win. Like, what's the point Mm. of me doing this? What is the point of me going? And really forgetting that the whole point of this is to see what you can do and what you can accomplish. And I think a big part of it for me was this combination of turning 40 and also realizing I was done having kids. And during that time when I was pregnant and postpartum, you know, your body's not really your own. I had this sudden kind of craving of, you know, this is, I've I've hit midlife. I've got two kids. My body is mine again. What can I do with it? What can it do, you know, that doesn't require any external validation? So yes, I went back to competing and yes, you know, someone is telling you whether you did a good job or not, but it stopped feeling like that. Even the first competition that I did after that realization was just absolutely joyous. I beat all of my own records. It didn't matter if I beat anybody else in that moment because I just accomplished what I set out to do. I love this line too from your book that you say it's about the way being strong makes you believe you can accomplish anything. It's not just, oh, I can pick up this Atlas stone. A lot of it is that, right? That's <laughs> I want everyone to Google Atlas stone right now because it is the largest boulder you've ever seen. But you have that strength in one realm. How does that translate into the rest of your life? It's maybe a little bit meta, but I don't know that without those couple of years of doing strength training, I would have had the courage to say, I'm going to write a book. That was, I think, a secret goal for me, maybe for most of my life, almost that I didn't even really know about, but I think it's that way for all writers. And to go, okay, yeah, at 40, I'm going to pitch this book and try to start becoming an author. That was something where, you know, I would have really feared what people were going to think about it and whether or not it was going to be well-received. And I still worry about that a little bit for sure. But I didn't worry as much about failing and I didn't worry as much about whether not getting through a certain part of the book writing process, for example, made me a failure. You know, I would kind of, let's say, have something with the narrative arc that was confusing or I couldn't get it to work. And one of the things I would do was I would go down into my garage and I would lift or I would go on a run. And that always kind of fixed that block for me and helped me go, okay, look, you just did something really hard. You know, you just had to figure out this complex idea of which way do I move my feet or my hands or whatever to make the barbell go a certain way? Or, you know, how can I push myself to run a little bit faster? You know, you faced those particular opportunities for failure and you found a way around them. So how do you do that now? It's a complex book, right? It's your own personal journey, but it's also research and interviews. And I just know how difficult that is to come off so polished and easy to understand and easy to read, but also meaningful and emotionally impactful and all of that. And I was like, oh, I bet this was a lot of work. So I was just (laughs) wondering, what did you not know about writing the book at the beginning of the process that it taught you? I thought that the hardest part would be the research. 
But, you know, I'm a journalist, so the interviewing people and telling other people's stories, I was stoked to do that. That I knew would be great. I was thrilled to travel places and interview people in person and get these stories firsthand. I did not expect that the hardest part would be telling my story. I think as a journalist, I'm not used to having to talk about myself in my writing. So it constantly when I would have my husband read drafts of chapters and he was like, more about you. You know, there was one point where when I was writing about stone lifting, actually, I had pages on the history of stone lifting, which was <laughs> absolutely fascinating to me. And he was like, yeah, I know this is interesting to you, but to your average reader, they just want to know why this means something to you. You know, they're only going to care about it if they know why you care about it. So getting that vulnerable and personal was really difficult, but in the end, I think it made it a better book. And you mentioned in your acknowledgments that you had maybe worked with someone to go yes. there. I mean, did you have a, a coach? Because I know that it's hard to push yourself to do that. And what were some strategies that you used to uncover those personal details that make the book come to life? So not during the book writing process, during the proposal process. Um, so there were two things. So I, I had been out of the writing game, the journalism game for a while. I went back into journalism before I had the idea for the book. And to do that, I decided to treat myself like an absolute beginner. And I took a class by this wonderful woman, Susan Shapiro, who if anybody's thinking about getting into writing, into freelancing, she's the best. She really pushes you to focus on personal essays. And why should somebody care about the story? They're only going to care about it if you have a personal stake in it. And I would try, would pitch her all these ideas that were kind of like, oh, well, you know, uh, I found these letters from my grandpa to my grandmother. And she was like, yeah, but why do you care? How does that impact your life? So going into writing this proposal, I already had that in my mind. And then a friend of mine from university who's a five-time author, his name is David Sachs, he worked with me on the proposal. And as we went through that, he would also kind of push me. He's like, you know, open up a little bit more here. This isn't a thousand word piece. You have room. What did the room that you were in smell like? What did it look like? What were the people around you doing? What were the sounds? And really talk about what it felt like for you to be there so that you can bring other people into that spot too. I think people kind of don't know that like writing a proposal is almost harder than writing a book. 100%. Right? Okay. Like, I, I don't know what it is. Is it the condensing everything? Is it the fact that you have to have the entire book in mind before you actually write it? So you're doing all of the research and then condensing it to this beautiful outline? I don't know. My basic way of going about things has never been, let me write up this full outline. If I have a great lead, I can just pour the piece out from there. But I have to have that and I almost always have to know what the ending is going to be. But the middle part, I just kind of, I usually just like, like to let that flow out as I write. So having to put it all out there in outline form was very strange for me. I think the easiest part of the proposal for me actually is the part that a lot of writers struggle with, which was the marketing part, because part of my background is in marketing. So that was a joy coming up with, you know, the stats of how many people are doing this sport and this sport and what's the likely readership. And that part I actually enjoyed. Oh my gosh, you're a unicorn, I think, uh, in that respect. But as we're talking about, it's elements that you break down, right? And it just, it reminds me of the, the process of getting better at anything is just boiling something down into its parts and then really focusing. And sort of reminds me of these moments in your book where you're really concentrating on a specific lift and the method and process that you're doing to accomplish it, the step-by-step -step process. And I feel like you and your trainer kept like trying to nail that exact sequence, right? 
Yes. And I also worked with a performance psychologist when I was getting ready for a national level competition. You know, there was one particular lift. Anything that I'm putting overhead has always been really scary for me. And I wanted to get to the root of that. Working with her was so phenomenal because she helped me understand that it wasn't this kind of basic cliche fear of failure, but that what was happening for me was that I would put obstacles in my way to avoid failure because if I did everything right, if I followed all my cues and I still didn't get something, then I would have to face the fact that there was something that I maybe couldn't do yet, that there was something that was out of reach for me. And so instead, I was coming up with excuses like fear to avoid putting myself in that situation. It was really interesting. So she had me focus instead of you know approaching the bar and saying things to myself like, this is lightweight, you've done this before, all of these kind of nebulous concepts. She was like, no, you have to go up to the bar with three cues in mind. What are the cues, the absolute things you need to do in order to nail this? And those are the only things I want you thinking about as you do that. And that has been a huge game changer for me. You know, what do I need to do when I take the bar out of the rack so it feels lighter? And then where do my hands need to be? Where do my feet need to be? What are those couple of things that I can do to give myself the best chance? And then now when I do all those things and I still don't get it, I can look back and go, okay, well, how do you fix that for next time? Yes, you you remembered to bend your knees, but did you push your knees out instead of inwards? And it allows me to sort of diagnose the problem in a way that I wouldn't have done before. I would have just maybe gotten frustrated and walked away. Right. And then say, oh, well, I just, I can't do it. It's It's an overarching umbrella of this is too hard. So this morning, whenever you went into the garage gym, do you have a sequence of things that you're planning to do in like a workout that you do every day? Do you sort of rotate according to a larger plan or or how did you know what you were doing whenever you went in there? My coach writes my programming. So I know what I'm doing, you know, every day of the week that I go in there, I have everything written down. Despite the fact that I was a trainer, I just don't think I could do that myself. I, I appreciate having somebody else kind of push me in that way. And he, he understands down to these little things about the way that my brain works. Like instead of writing, you know, you're going to do one rep at this weight. He knows that if I see that, my brain will go, oh, he only wants me to do one because it's heavy. So sometimes he'll write one to two or two to three so that, you know, my brain goes, oh, okay, well, he knows I can handle this. So I can handle that. It's It's a real kind of game of, you know, psychology, I guess. So how long does that workout usually last? And then you sort of go about the rest of your day. More often than not, I am doing that workout at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> I knew you were going to um, say that. I knew you were going to say something yeah. like that. And to be clear, I've said this to people before, you know, it's not, there is no motivation. It's not like, oh, I'm motivated to get up at 5.30 a.m. because of X, Y, Z. It's like if I set my alarm for 5.30 and I wake up and even if I'm tired, what will happen is my brain will go, okay, well, if you didn't do it now, you could push this to this time. And this. And by the time you've figured all that out and done all that mental gymnastics, you're awake. You might as well just get up and do it. So I'll just get up and go down to the gym. And I, you know, I also need to be back upstairs and showered and ready for my day before my kids wake up at seven o'clock. It's kind of the only timing that works for me. How does writing play into your day-to-day? When you were writing the book, obviously, I'm sure that was like very intensive, deep work blocks of either research or interviewing or writing. But now that you're, you know, freelance writing and working on getting the book out there, what does that part of your day look like? I cannot just sit down at a computer and start 
writing. Like I have to be in that right frame of mind. That said, I can do it anywhere. If I'm in the right state of mind to be writing, if I've got an idea, if I'm feeling that kind of spark, I can be home. I can be in a coffee shop. I can be in a library. Um, It doesn't really matter. And background noise is usually fine with me most of the time. I wrote a tremendous amount of my book in the public library just because I started to really like it there. But I'll Mm. often start my day in the library and then around lunchtime go to a coffee shop. So I get that little bit of a a brain break. Usually if I can't come up with what I want to say or I'm hitting that sort of block, I will go for a workout or a run. In fact, the very first freelance piece that I sold after kind of coming out of journalism mini retirement was to Wired Magazine. And it was about how, you know, an old school runner like me learned to love virtual races. And I came up with the idea for it while running. I literally (laughs) stopped mid-run, pulled out my phone and left myself a voice message about it. That's so incredible. And then suddenly the piece exists in the world. And I was just wondering, like, if you have any strategies or tools that you use I mean, maybe they're strength training related or writing related, digital, anything like that, that you feel like if this disappeared tomorrow, I would go completely crazy. Coffee? (laughs) (laughs) That is mostly serious. It's funny. I I want to be the kind of writer that has like notebooks and I always look at them and I collect them and then I don't use them because I have horrible handwriting. There's not a lot of like methods or apps or things that I use for my writing so much as just kind of trying to find, I guess, the mental space for it. And with lifting, I think just having having the great space to do it and having my coach, I really don't know if I would lift to the extent that I do now if I didn't have him. We've been working together for about seven or eight years now. Did you start with a coach or did you start yourself and then decide like to get to the next level? I need to make that kind of investment. When I kind of made the shift from doing marathon training to doing strength training, I first started doing CrossFit. So that was all group classes. When I found my way into Strongman, I literally day one hired the coach that taught the group Strongman class that I was taking because I knew it was such an odd sport and all the lifts are so awkward and you don't know how to move things that there was no way if I really wanted to do this that I could do it on my own. And I worked with that coach until I moved out of New York, so about two years. And then I found the coach that I have now when I moved to Toronto. And it it just sounds like that is sort of an an X factor in your relationship to lifting because you are certified personal trainer, right? So so you could make a a program, but it sounds like that, that relationship gives you that external accountability too. That's it. Exactly. It's the, it's the accountability. You know, I know like I don't skip a workout, I think, because I don't want to have to tell him that I skipped a workout. (laughs) It's very, very seldom. Like when I was on deadline to finish the book, I would occasionally I'd say to him, Hey, I had to make a call here. What's going to, what's going to make me feel better today doing this workout or getting this writing in. And 99% of the time, the answer is the workout. Sometimes you have to do the writing too. Usually you can sneak in the workout and then you yep. feel much more energized to get that spark and to do the writing. But I think purgatory is waking up and starting to do the mental gymnastics, as you said, of, well, it's a little late to run now, so maybe <laughs> I can do a lunch run, but it never works out well. And so that get up and do it always seems to be the way to go. You know, you have an early start, you have a very full and energizing day. I was wondering how you unwind at the end of the day and what sort of signals that end of day to you. 
So usually my kids, the kind of bedtime routine starts around 5.30 by having dinner and then they're in bed by seven. You know, if I'm not going somewhere and being social, usually my husband and I will either sit somewhere and read together or we'll sit on the couch, watch some show that we've been binging, maybe have like a little snack on the couch because we eat with our kids at 5.30. You're going to be hungry at some point. I've always been a big bone broth fanatic. And I have recently discovered powdered bone broth as it's getting really cold where I live. I'm starting to make that kind of my like last thing before bed is just making like a nice cup of bone broth. And it's just great because it kind of sets me into that sort of tired time. One thing I didn't truly didn't anticipate about book writing was how much anxiety I would have all of the time (laughs) about getting it out into the world. So I'll take any trick, anything that I can do to make sure that I'm going to sleep without my mind racing a million miles a minute about what else could I be doing right now, you know, to get the word out about this book. Yeah. How does it feel now that the book is out? It probably took a couple of years since the proposal to publication. What does it feel like to you? I think I had the idea for the book in like December 2020. Then the proposal got sold to a publisher in July of 2021. So it has been a really long road. I think everyone has these expectations, even if you don't say them out loud, you think that things are going to go a certain way because that's what you've seen from successful books, right? You've seen that go on morning shows the day that their book comes out and all of those things. And no one really tells you that that's not how it goes for 99% of people. So I don't think I anticipated how much work would be done on my end to promote and market the book. But every time I get an email from somebody talking about how it impacted them, I feel really good that I did it. And it's not like those come in constantly, but I've gotten a handful of them. And when they do come in, they are really, really heartfelt. I've had people say, you know, this changed the course of their life, which is a wild thing to hear about something that you produced. To know that there's that impact on even a handful of people has been really incredible. I've had a lot of male readers tell me that they want to give this book as a gift to young women in their life. Um, in particular because of the chapter about body image. That feels really incredible because part of why I wrote that and why I was so vulnerable in that chapter was because I want my daughters to read that when they can, and I wanted to have that impact on them. I'm 100% convinced that this book will find all the people that it needs to find and more. It's really a wonderfully inspiring, not just you know if you are considering incorporating strength training into your life, but just if you need that push to try things that you haven't done before and to get outside of your comfort zone and to really lean into the diligence and patience and possibility of failure that comes with trying something new. So thank you for writing it. I really loved it. Thank you. I'm so glad we could hear more more about your day. Thank you so much for having me on. This was wonderful. I love your podcast. It's really an honor to be part of it. 